welcome to the Gospel for Life podcast. We help people grow by connecting truth to life. Here's your host, Daryl Dash. Welcome back to the Gospel for Life podcast. And today we're going to talk about evangelism. And evangelism is hard. Not only is it hard, but the culture around us hates the message that we preach. And we know that the gospel is offensive. But what makes it even harder is sometimes we are offensive and we need to figure out a way to share an offensive message to an offended culture without putting unnecessary barriers or offense uh, on top of the offense of the gospel. And that's what my guest today is writing about. His book, Gospel Smugness, is about allowing the gospel to do the offending instead of us. The author is Blake Long, and he argues that the gospel is offensive enough. Our attitude, our smugness, shouldn't get in the way of people believing in the gospel. And so Long helps us to find the problem, and he points us to the solution, Jesus. He shows us how to engage with boldness and gentleness, bluntness and compassion. He encourages us to start witnessing like Jesus. Blake Long is an author and blogger at theologyandlife.com, and I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. And he's married to his wife, Shale, and they have two little girls and a rowdy dog. He received an MTS in preaching and pastoral ministry at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Blake, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. So you are in the middle of real life, like you've got a young daughter at home right now. Yes, yes, we are. We are in the thick of things. We are, you know, I'm, I'm I have an eight to five job, so I'm I'm gone every day. And my wife is a special ed teacher at a local school here in town, so she's you know gone every day as well. So both both kids go to daycare, but after we both get home from work, uh, it, it is a it is a hectic time, um, and with a three almost well she turned two and a half today jovi our, our our oldest and then piper who is three months um we've been dealing with a lot of sickness from her um which has been unfortunate but it's um it's it's shown me a lot of lessons in the, in the process um so it's been a hectic time a crazy time but uh, god is good all the time in in the process so it's it's been good even though it's been crazy times for sure. Well, I, those are tiring days. And uh, yeah, I mean, just working like that is, and then having uh, two young children at home mm-hmm. can be really exhausting. Piper, is that named after John Piper? Informally. So <laughs> you, you might, I, I don't know, you know, I don't want to try to date you here, but um, our firstborn is Jovi. She's informally named after Bon Jovi. Um, and that was, my wife is a, big 80s music fan for some reason even though she's my age which is 27 um but she loves it's just because the music is so good in that era yes so <laughs> no i don't understand it so i obliged because i thought it was just a cute name her middle name is grace and then yeah piper i thought you know she she thought it was a cute name and i was like well of course john piper let's, let's <laughs> absolutely do it and then i always joke to people who ask about it I got to throw in some Christian hedonism and, and her, her, her middle name is joy. <laughs> and so I was like, this, uh, this is perfect. Yes. I love that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Good. I want to get into your book a little bit. Um, you know, Blake, 
if we understand theology, we should really be the last people in the world to be proud or smug. So why is it that sometimes we're guilty of smug evangelism? Well, in short, our sin gets in the way. Um, and, and really, sometimes it's not smugness. Um, sometimes we think too much. Uh, e- even at my church, uh, just the other day, we were talking about evangelism. Well, no, we, we weren't talking about evangelism specifically, but we were talking about humility. Uh, one of my pastors was going through, I think it's Andrew Murray. I think Andrew Murray's book, Humility, or something like that. Um, we we're talking about being humble. And the conversation around evangelism got um, brought up. And I was like, well, I just wrote a book on evangelism. I have some thoughts on this. <laughs> and part of the problem is sometimes we try to plan out what we're saying before the conversation happens. And then when we do that, um, it, it can kind of come across as, as though we're not listening. And so, yeah, a lot of the times I, I wrote the book primarily because we are uh, prideful a lot of the time in evangelism, whether we're acting as if um, we have it all together or we're holier than thou or whatever it is. Um, and a lot of times we lack empathy. And I know this is a buzzword nowadays, with some people, um, but we, we, we lose empathy and we forget that we were once that person that we were talking to. And we forget that um, we, we used to be um, under the wrath of God, just like they were. And so when we forget those things and when we don't listen and we get too caught up in trying to just have a um, hypothetical conversation rather than just letting the Holy Spirit take the lead, uh, we can come across offensive whether we're trying to or not. You, you talk about following the example of Jesus, and I'm amazed that even though he was the son of God and, and he knew uh, people, the, it's amazing to see how he listens so carefully to people. And you just get the impression that as he talks to people that he's, yeah, he's extending that compassion and grace to them, right. with the exception of the religious hypocrites. Yes. But sexual sinners and doubters and uh, all kinds of people who come to him, he's, yeah, he just exhibits that care for them. So that kind of ties into, I think there's this idea that we've got to be confrontational mm-hmm. in evangelism. And I've certainly heard people who say, I've, I'm just prophetic. And they'll yeah. even point to, sure, Jesus was nice, but what about Paul who was right. sometimes very blunt and sarcastic? So what would you say to people who say, okay, it's great that you care about being nice uh, or kind, or if you want to put it in the fruit of the spirit, right? You talk about mm-hmm. kindness and gentleness and self-control. That's all good, but I'm prophetic. Why Why? Sh- why should they consider what you're saying? I mean, it, honestly, it comes down again to witnessing like Christ. And so we use the example of Christ. Um, we, we talk about, honestly, I haven't, I haven't looked in the book in a while, so I can't even remember um, oh, I, I use the illustration of him in the temple. And then there's another illustration I use, but I can't remember what it was. But we, we forget that we have different circumstances. Um, evangelism is not a one-size-fits-all encounter. Um, I remember tweeting a while back about how the, the message in evangelism is not going to change ever. We're always going to have the same message, but it's not always going to be in the same manner or, or medium or whatever. Um, in other words, you're not going to talk to a person the same in Starbucks with a cup of coffee 
than you would if you're honestly out on the street, uh, street preaching or something like that. And so it comes down a lot of the times to understanding our environment. And sometimes we can, we can use the excuse of Jesus in the temple. Well, Jesus, Jesus wasn't nice in the temple. Well, that doesn't mean we have to be sarcastic and rude in our conversation. Um, that, that, that doesn't mean we don't, uh, confront people. That doesn't mean we don't confront people and be blunt sometimes when we need to. That's a part of leaning on the Holy Spirit and not trying to decipher the situation so much um, and c- coming across offensive in, in, in that way. And then I think the opposite end of the spectrum, we, we don't want to be too too nice, so to speak. Uh, there, there are times when we have to be more straightforward with people and honestly, that comes down to, again, the situation, who the person is you're speaking to. And many times uh, they're a stranger. And so we have to truly, uh, we have to use our own God-given intellect and knowledge to understand the situation, but truly lean on the Spirit's guidance because He will give us the words, the, uh, the scriptures tell us this, and we can understand, um, try to understand the personality of the person we're talking to, to see, should I be more compassionate? and kind with my words and soft-spoken and gentle, or is this a place where I can be more straightforward and blunt and it not come across offensive? Why should we treat virtues like kindness and gentleness and self-control and, and love? I mean, you, you write in the book about uh, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Mm-hmm. Why should we view those as actually things that are appropriate all the time and, and not just, you know, put them on and sometimes take them off. But because I think there is this belief that maybe that's some people just personality wise. Um, so yeah, yeah, just make the argument for why we should always strive to be kind and gentle and self uh, with, with self-control and love. And like you say, that's not at the expense of being truthful and right. blunt sometimes, but even our bluntness is going to be characterized by, you know, a, a kindness underneath that. Right. And, and again, I mean, you always, you know, you, you read the, the, the content off the back cover and it's, I mean, it, it all comes back to Christ. Jesus um, displayed all of this perfectly for us. And so we, we definitely can't say, well, we, we don't have an example of this. We have an example of it in Christ. He did it perfectly. And so, yeah, like you said, we are always to be kind. We're always to be gentle. We're always to be loving. The, the, the command to love your neighbor as yourself or the command to have the fruit of the spirit is not a partial command or do it on a Monday, but not on a Sunday, so on and so forth. We're always to display these characteristics. And again, kind of like you mentioned, it's not as if being kind doesn't mean also being blunt. Um, There's two examples I can think of. And I think I talk about this in the book. Um, there was one Sunday afternoon, I was just hanging out with, with Shell, um, my girlfriend at the time. And, um, we had a knock at the, her, her door and she lived next to a Mormon ward church. And I opened up the door and there's two LDS sisters and I'm going, well, this is going to be a conversation because we had literally just a few weeks ago, just got back from a mission trip to Provo, Utah to evangelize Mormons. And so, you know, we're both going. We, we had prayed for encounters. Well, you know, God is bringing them to our doorstep. And so for those who are listening, who, who don't know much about Mormons, um, they are the nicest people you will ever meet. Um, but at the very same time, uh, and, I, and I don't really mean this with disrespect, but they're also very skittish. 
um, the, the moment you say something that they, they deem as confrontational, um, they will back away and they will try to exit the conversation. So I knew that coming into this conversation because these LDS sisters were in her, our apartment or her apartment for three hours. We had a great conversation, but I had to say things in that conversation um, that were very straightforward. Uh, you know, Joseph Smith is a false prophet. This is a false gospel, all those sorts of things, the whole conversation. And I, hopefully my wife can attest, but I tried to do so in the most gentle compassionate way I could with a soft spoken voice and all of those things. And amid all those things and hopefully doing those things right, I made one of them cry. Now they weren't mad or irritated or agitated or left the apartment abruptly, but I made, I made them cry. And I'm like going, I don't, we shouldn't want to make them cry, but simply the words of the gospel made them, made them that way. Um, so, so that's one example of even as we are kind and gentle and compassionate with our words, the gospel will always offend. And my goodness, there was another, uh, there was another example here, but I, I lost it. <laughs> that's what happens when you ramble on for five minutes. Well, that's a great example right there. Yeah, I think that nailed it. Uh, I, like I was thinking as you were talking about, uh, have you seen the book Radical Candor? And uh, the cover says it all. So she's got a, a, a graph with, um, you know, one quadrant is, um, if I'm getting it straight, it's it's truth. And the other quadrant is helpfulness. So what we would say is mm. if you put um, grace and truth and you can either be, you know, <laughs> unloving and untruthful or you can be truthful but unloving yeah. or loving but untruthful. And neither of those are satisfactory, right? Three right. of the quadrants are not what we're shooting for. We're really shooting for that love, the the loving quadrant and the truthful quadrant. Mm-hmm. And you write about that in your book. It's it's really easy to drift into one of the other quadrants. So give us some tips on how we can shoot for that, how we can uh, aim to be truthful in our evangelism and yet exhibit a lot of love as we talk to people. Sure. So, yeah, the ultimately the book comes down to displaying truth and love. Um, I talk about in the chapter of truth without love, that is kind of directly aimed at the the, the Christian demographic that I was specifically writing to, how we how we have the truth. You know, we we know the Trinity. We know penal substitutionary atonement. We, you know, if we're, uh, you know, if we're reformed, we know all the reformed theologies and the doctrines of grace and all this stuff, and know all sorts of theology. But when it comes down to the practical aspects of life, we don't consistently display love. And I think, just from my vantage point. Um, whether it's in person with people interacting or, you know, this is the world we live in, but Twitter, um, I think Twitter is worse than Facebook. We have a lot of Christians who say, you know, I'm just speaking the truth in love, but you're not, you're not being loving. You know, um, a lot of the times people will talk to unbelievers and say, well, that's not loving. Well, you know, they're making the excuse of I'm saying this in love, but you, you know, they're not truthfully doing it in love. And we use that as an excuse to be brash and harsh. And we, we really forget that we're missing the point. And, you know, the love chapter, all of that is in vain if we don't have love. You know, we can, we can know all these things, but if we're not loving to people, and yes, loving people looks different in different circumstances. Absolutely. Uh, but I still think we all struggle with 
struggle with that scenario of, uh, of trying to have the truth, but we're not loving people in the process, uh, however that looks. Um, I mean, just, I think I use this as an example in the book of, say you're doing evangelism, evangelism at an abortion clinic and, you know, you have to raise your voice for them to hear. And, and, you know, we can disagree on these things, of course, but it's kind of like, you know, just yelling to, to a woman walking into the abortion clinic saying, you're a murderer, you're a murderer and all this stuff, whether or not that's true or not, that's probably not the most helpful thing you can say to that woman at that time, whether she knows she's doing what she's doing or not. And so it comes down to those things where we have to understand our situation um, to be truthful and loving. Then, of course, there is the opposite side of that spectrum, uh, which you can make the case is worse than uh, displaying truth without love, was when we have love without truth. Um, this, uh, you know, when I, I, honestly, when I wrote this chapter, I, I thought I was kind of veering off a little bit of the point of the whole book, but I, I kind of thought it kind of brought things together. Displaying love without truth is really just compromising the gospel. And, you know, if we want to put ourselves in a category, we'd rather not be in the love without truth category because, honestly, the majority of the time, those people probably just aren't Christian. And I know Christians can truly struggle with saying, you know, if we're trying to love people but doing it because we're fearful of their reactions and evangelism or you know, even worse, if we don't really truly believe the gospel that we're trying to share. So that's that's another category we can sometimes fall into that's honestly worse. Um, and it's kind of the progressive Christianity type of thing as well. Then I use the example of the Apostle Paul in that 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 last chapter of a supernatural witness, or I honestly can't remember what I entitled it. I, I changed it so many times in the process. Um, I use the example of Paul, how Paul was the Outside of Christ, of course, a great example of displaying truth and love. Um, and he, he was really the epitome of, of what we want to look for when we have the truth of the gospel um, and have that truth penetrate our hearts. And we're able to express genuine love for people in the process and specifically in evangelism. Yeah, Paul's often known for, uh, I, I think people see what they want to in Paul's life, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people think that he's this guy who's harsh, and yeah. um, but you see the emotion that he has, and and he's always with people, and he's always pleading with people with tears, and you just get the affection for each of the churches that he planted. So definitely truthful and definitely loving at the same time, yeah. um, which is really good. So you brought up social media here. Yes, man. It is. I, I was reading. A, uh, I forget what it was, but I think it was some Christian who tweeted something and it wasn't really that controversial or anything. And I began to read the comments and I was so discouraged. Mm -hmm. These were believers commenting on this believers rather innocuous statement. So it just seems like it is brutal these days. Give us some tips on how we can better represent Christ on social media. Well, so, you know, and again, I'm sure everybody would say this. I don't attempt to, to be the guru about this, but it's just, it's something that I see. And I, I know a lot of people see it. And, you know, I'm on all three, the bigger social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. But I, I truly, I truly see this the most on Twitter because I really just think it's because you can have more interaction with people. 
And I think a lot of it comes to the fact that, you know, I could, you know, comment on somebody else's, uh, someone who's a Christian who is more prominent. Um, it's better way of con- uh, getting connected with them. And so they can see your stuff and you can comment on all sorts of things. And I, I think it comes down to understanding that we're still talking to souls or we're not talking to a screen and it's much easier to not restrain our mouths when we're behind a keyboard. Um, you know, we, we talk about, or Christ talks about in Matthew, I believe, where, you know, we'll give an account for every word. We'll also give an account for every word we type, if you want to put it that way. Um, it's, it's not as if that command gets thrown out the window because we're using our thumbs and not speaking those words. And so, so Practically speaking, I, I think a lot of it comes down to we think a lot of the time we have to get into the argument. Um, I can't tell you the amount of people I've muted or words I've muted or people I've blocked simply for my own sanity and for the reason of I, my heart is naturally inclined to get into arguments. So on Twitter, I have to block people. That in real life, I may not, I, I may not feel the same way, but on Twitter, their presence uh, just honestly just frustrates me sometimes to the degree that I may be sending the process. But it's like you said, it's truly discouraging. And you know, to to use an example, and um, you know whether or not you want to use this in the podcast or not, but as an example, you know, we we attend a Southern Baptist church, and. At, at least after the convention, SBC Twitter was chaotic. And with the um, rise of CBN network, um, there's just, there's been a lot of strife and conflict. And it's just, it's needless. And I, I think a lot of it comes down to how people think about secondary issues. And I, I think a lot of it, it you know, this kind of escapes the evangelism conversation a little bit, but it also revolves around our overall witness. You know, I talk about evangelism in the book, and that's the primary focus, but a lot of it revolves around how the outside world sees us. So, if we're behaving in an unchristian manner on social media, we may not be trying to witness to a person specifically, but those unbelievers are seeing our conversations on Twitter and seeing us uh, not giving people, definitely Christians, the benefit of the doubt. Uh, we're assuming motives when we shouldn't be, definitely behind a keyboard. So it's practical things like not getting into the argument when you, when you, even when you really want to, not saying, you know, I, I know this is going to stir the pot, making a post you know is going to ruffle feathers. Um, there, there's a difference between doing that and truly making a post you want to post knowing it might ruffle feathers. And that honestly just comes down to the intent of the heart, of course, but um, using social media in, in, in a Christ-like manner, um, at least for me, I, I've, I've benefited from, I cut my follower count down big time. Uh, when I first got on social media, I followed probably 200 people. Uh, now I only follow 85. Uh, I do that for a reason. The, the people I follow on social media are the people I find encouraging, edifying, and sometimes they challenge me. You know, I say all of that, and sometimes the people I mute or block, I, you know, I find myself going to the settings and privacy <laughs> part of Twitter and going to their profile. So I'm making the same mistake they do as well. So it's it just, 
It's exercising wisdom and leaning on the Holy Spirit, even for something like social media, which now is honestly, you know, now with the whole metaverse stuff, uh, it's going to become an even bigger thing. I was talking to a pastor earlier today, and he was saying the polarization has just ripped uh, his his people apart and mm-hmm. within the church. And uh, yeah, it, it really does affect our witness, right? We're not even getting along within the body. And I don't know how then we expect to get along with unbelievers who maybe are uh, from a different political party or have different views of, on all these controversial issues. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I want to ask you a question about evangelism because evangelism is really hard. And I, I remember reading um, uh, one book by an evangelist and he's, he began the book by saying evangelism is hard. And it made me feel really good to know that even an evangelist says it's really hard. Near the end of the book, you talk about, uh, or you advise us not to overthink evangelism. Could you explain what you mean by this? Yeah. So I, I wanted to make the point of, you know, I go through the whole book trying to show us pitfalls, trying to show us here's where we can make a mistake, here's where we're doing things wrong and all these things, and trying to restrain our behavior in the process. But I wanted to make the point that at the, at the end of the day, a gospel that is shared maybe with too much harshness, is at the end of the day better than not sharing it at all. And I think it's in Philippians. My memory is escaping me, but Paul talks about how, you know, these people are still preaching the gospel, even though they're doing it to afflict me. And so, yeah, at the end of the day, don't overthink evangelism. Uh, Don't overthink so much. Am I being too offensive here? How does my tone sound? all these different scenarios. And I use, so, you know, I'm, I may be losing some listeners here, but I use the uh, golf example because I, I've always been a golf fan. I've, I've grown up on the golf course. And when, you, when you're playing golf, when you're over the ball, it is best to have one swing thought over the ball, whether that's just saying, um, take the club straight back or just keep your eyes on the ball. Whatever it is, it's just one swing thought. And that's always the most simplistic way to do it. Um, And so when you're over the ball and you have all these thoughts going around your head of what to do with this and what to do with that, you're more prone to make a mistake. The same is true with evangelism. If I go into an evangelism encounter, encounter, trying to decide my tone, trying to figure out the environment, trying to figure out all sorts of stuff, we're going to lose our focus on the whole point of the conversation. And so with that, I just try to make the case of lean on the Holy Spirit. Make sure you're not offensive, of course. We don't, want, we don't want to not think about it at all. But at the end of the day, you're still called and commanded to preach the gospel. And, and, and if you have rough edges, he will smooth them out. That's great advice. And I can relate to that. We were doing evangelism the other week and experienced that very thing, right? Going up to people and you're thinking of a million yeah. things rather than the person in front of you. So yeah, I really appreciate that advice. Well, Blake, I, I want to ask you a couple personal questions, uh, but before we do that, I want to just say, man, like you're a guy who loves the office that comes out in your books and, yes. uh, and you know, I don't know many people who name their kids after an eighties musician and uh, a preacher. So, I mean, and, and use golf illustrations. So, well done. I like it a lot. And yeah, absolutely. Tell me what you are learning recently in your life. So two things. Um, 
first I have been reading Deeper uh, by Dane Ortland. That, that that's the name down nowadays, isn't it? Everybody knows who he is now. I've been reading Deeper by Dane, and it's you know it, it's not going to get the acclaim like Gentle and Lowly has, because Gentle and Lowly quickly became my favorite book I've ever read, um, and I think for good reason. But Deeper. Um, it might not get as much notice or, or, or fame, but it's just as good, uh, in, in my opinion. And I have it right here on my nightstand. And I'm learning that, first and foremost, uh, my performance as a Christian uh, is not, or, or God's love for me is not based on my performance. So when I wake up every day, um, I, don't, we, I think we all naturally get in that mindset of, okay, if I do this right, if I do that correctly, uh, I will have more of God's love today or more of his favor. And that's just simply not the message of scripture. Uh, the message of scripture is as a Christian, we have, we have to keep that context in mind as a Christian, God loves me uh, regardless of, of, of what I do that day and how I'm doing. And, and thank God his love for us is not based on how we're feeling. That is a tremendous way to get through our days to, is to remember that, if I have a really good day or God doesn't, you know, we've all heard the saying, God doesn't love me more on my good days and he doesn't love me less than my bad. His love for us is never changing because God is never changing. So that's, that's the first thing from the book. And then the second thing is learning truly what sanctification is. I mean, we all know sanctification is growing more and more into the image of his son on day, on a daily basis. Uh, but how we do that, um, he says, going deeper into the gospel. And he, I just love that he talks about how the more we think on the doctrine of justification or being made righteous before God, the more we think on that, the deeper into Christ we go. And I just, I mean, that just resonates with me. That's going to resonate with so many, many people. And I mean, there's, there's not one way to look at sanctification. I mean, there's, there's different ways to look at it, but how he treats it in this book in my opinion, has been phenomenal. And then the other thing that I'm learning, and I kind of talked to you about this before we recorded, I think, but, you know, our our youngest, Piper, um, she's been sick basically her whole life, three months. She, we were both sick uh, during de- delivery. Uh, my wife was, was sick with, uh, um, she had some illnesses and vomiting in the process. And probably a month later or so, uh, Piper started to vomit at daycare and it wasn't just, you know, a spit up or just a little vomit here and there, but it was projectile. And so we we're both very concerned about that. You know, we went to the doctor and she got diagnosed with, she had E. coli of all things. Um, and she had a UTI. And so both of those things were causing her, you know, massive issues in her, in her stomach and whatnot. And so we got out of the hospital. We had this, we had to stay in the hospital for ten days because they wanted to keep her there uh, to to end the antibiotics, which you know is a good thing. So she got out of the hospital doing well, and then probably I don't know, probably a month later, uh, she started to vomit again, and we're going, my goodness, what what can we do? You know, we don't really know what to do at this point, and all the while this is happening. You know, here's here's my shameless plug. Okay, I'm not trying to, but it just happened. I, I, my my next book I'm writing, talking about how we respond when God says no to our prayers. You know, what do we? How do we respond to unanswered prayer? And so through this trial that we've had with Piper, 
the many times I, you know, I said, Lord, heal her body, you know, make sure everything is correct. And then here she is sick again. You know, technically, you know, there's no such thing as unanswered prayer. He's always answering our prayer. Sometimes it's just no, or not yet, or just wait on me or whatever it is. And I've had to learn a lot about God's goodness. I've had to learn a lot about God's timing and his providence, even as one who identifies as reformed, <laughs> you know, I can, I can say I'm reformed all day long and then, but the practicalness of life comes and the reformed, you know, goes out of my mind and I forget God's sovereignty. And so even in the midst of her being sick, uh, he's still sovereign, he's still good. And I'm still trusting in him. And we still are, we, we've been to the ER, you know, four or five times within the last two months, just trying to figure out what's wrong with her. And at least as of right now, we think we have a solution. The doctors said they don't think this is the problem, but so far so good with, with our mindset. We think she has acid reflux. And so we've been giving her acid reflux medicine and that's, she has not vomited. And that's been probably five days, I think. And she is also because of that, she had not fed her bottles well, uh, but since then she's done well. And so Learning through trials is something we don't want to do, but something that God uses uh, for our good in his glory to, you know, sanctify us in the Lord. And that makes me think, uh, uh, you know, this is the good part of Twitter is the, all the quotes I see every day. And for the life of me, I cannot tell you who said it. It was something about affliction, though. <laughs> I can't. I wish I could remember it. I'm sure I favored it or something so I can go back and look at it. But um, it, it was, it, it, it talked a little bit about just affliction is basically part of how God molds us into Christ. And so we, we need not look at affliction or, or trials as something that is uh, God's, you know, the, 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 the absence of his love, but it's quite the opposite. And so he uses that a lot to, to make us more like a son. That sounds like some pretty profound learning, um, the the hard kind too, but yes. the the kind that really God uses to shape our characters in a powerful way. Uh, what's encouraging you lately? You've talked about some of the, I mean, everybody's going through a hard time. You're going through particular um, challenges that make it very difficult. What's kept you encouraged? Well, if I can think of one, because, you know, you ask that question and a million things go around in my head. But if I can think of one um, is, is my local church. Uh, we've been at our church, Sovereign Grace Bible Church, uh, for five years, since 2016. And it is a church that is Southern Baptist. We are Reformed in doctrine, and we are uh, plurality-led of elders. And I think that is the biggest encouragement that I've been able to receive just in life as a Christian um, is being in a church that not only has sound doctrine, not only focuses on expository preaching and, and truly getting into the text, even the hard parts of the text, um, but being in a church that has uh, a plurality of elders, because that truly makes, that truly makes a difference in the life of a Christian because um, you don't get left behind. You don't go to church one day and, and think you're, you know, nobody's paying attention to you. You know, we're a smallest church. You know, we have probably 90 people on a, any given Sunday. And then more than anything is the fellowship. 
most Southern Baptist churches you go to, you show up at, you know, 1020, you go to your seat, you dread when the pastor says, okay, meet and greet time. And then you make a mad dash for Subway or whatever at 12 o'clock. We've been richly blessed at this church to know that we get there at 9.15, you know, for our equipping hour, people are talking. Um, you know, I, I made this joke yesterday to one of the pastor's wives. Um, our, our church always starts late. Always. Um, it's, we say we start at 10.30. It's always at least 10.45 before the service starts. And, you know, my impatient self, I can get kind of irritated with it. So I kind of have to rein in my impatience. But we, we start um, late every time because everybody's talking to each other. Um, nobody is really sitting down and just not saying a word to each other. We're all mingling. We're all getting together with people. We're all talking about our lives, but our struggles, or just about just normal things, you know? And so it's, it's always been such an encouragement to me that we have that. And then, you know, after the service, there are a few people, people that make a mad dash for the door, but for the most part, um, people are staying there until, you know, an hour after service. And so that's something that has always encouraged me uh, is let us not um, make light or underestimate uh, fellowship with the body of believers that God has placed around us. Because sanctification, <laughs> sanctification is truly a community project. I love your answer. And I love the fact that it's not a huge church, because sometimes we think if somebody says, man, I love my local church, we picture you know, automatically it comes to mind, this big church, the well-oiled machine. And Mm -hmm. I love that what you described is a healthy church that's uh, not that big and has got a a strong community. So that's so encouraging. Uh, It has been so good to talk to you. I I pray that your book is used by God to spur uh, passion for evangelism and uh, that it's, it's also done in a way that draws people to Christ. Where can people find out more about you and your book? Well, so for the book specifically, uh, since it was it was self-published uh, by me, and so it's through Amazon, so you can go to Amazon, Gospel Spongness, it's $12.99. If you're a Prime member, you get it in two days. You know, we got we to gotta get our stuff in two days nowadays. Um, I also think, I think you can get it at Barnes & Nobles. Um, I could be wrong, so if you go there and you don't see it, I was wrong. But last time I checked, it was it was also on Barnes and Nobles. Um, and if you're so inclined, I have copies for myself that I ship out to people. So if they want to buy through me, they can. And for what it's worth, I sign it, you know, um, cause I, cause I'm so famous and all, you know, but, um, so that those are really three ways you can get it. Um, you can find my blog, uh, theologyandlife.com. Honestly, it's theology dash and dash life.com. Thank you, WordPress, for not giving me a practical URL. But um, that is where I blog, and I do so weekly. Um, Usually, I post a new uh, blog post on Friday mornings. Um, So I I try to do that every week. Um, Other than that, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Usually, it's just BlakeLong94. Um, So that's, that's a little bit. Well, look forward to, uh, I'll keep an eye out for your next book as well. Look forward to reading that. And it's been really good to talk to you tonight. Yes. You won't know anything about Gentle and Lowly when you read the next book.
<laughs> okay, that's right. It'll be everyone will be talking about your name. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Yeah. Blake, good to talk to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening to the Gospel for Life podcast. If you're interested in growing and helping others grow, please check out our monthly newsletter. Go to gospelforlife.com slash newsletter. And please don't forget to leave a review of this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. 